Today we continue on in our look at 1 Corinthians to a text that is probably too big to preach in one sermon, but um, nonetheless is a joy, it's a wonderful text to preach and a beautiful text and a great and wonderful reminder to us, as I've as I said already this morning, what this text reminds us of and challenges us to is something that for us as Christians requires constant battle, as does so much within the uh, within the Word of God, right? We are, we are, the, the Christian life is one of perpetual battle, perpetual putting to death of the desires of the flesh, a continual putting on of the armor of God. So all of these things, so this is nothing unique, but, but nonetheless, I think the challenge uh, to us here is significant because Paul is going to remind us in this text to trust, to lean on, to fix our gaze upon what he calls the foolishness of God over against the wisdom of men. And again, this is, this is one of those things that can easily fall into Christian cliche kind of trite language. Like we all get it. Yes, 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 the foolishness of God over the wisdom of men. Yes, yes, yes. But I really challenge you to look at your life and to ask what you find yourself leaning on, relying on, over the other. The wisdom of men or the quote-unquote foolishness of God. And the reality is the wisdom of men is very attractive to us. We can relate to it. In many ways, we have seen its fruit. We look at others. We read books on leadership. We read books on success. We read books on good health. We read books on all these how-to, all these uh, uh, help books, these self-help books. Because we've seen the fruit. We look at people and we see the wisdom of men and we see its fruitfulness. And I don't deny that there is fruitfulness, that the wisdom of men has some value within the things of this life. It's not a question. It's, it's what we, we, we study it. We learn things in school. We don't merely study the Bible. However, however, there are limitations to the wisdom of men. It, unfortunately, the wisdom of men cannot answer the deep issues, the deep problems of the world, and the deep problems of our souls. It is insufficient for this. The Word of God, as we've already read in 2 Timothy 3 alone, is sufficient for all these things. And therefore, we must train our hearts to look to and to feed upon the foolishness of God. Let me go ahead and read the text. We've read it. We read, uh, this is our New Testament reading last Sunday. Mark read 1 Corinthians 1 and then two weeks ago. But let me read this text for us out of 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 to the end. And this will set the, the music for our, our sermon, if you will. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. 
The Jews request a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many were wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the, things, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. That, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Paul is speaking to a people in Corinth, Greeks and Romans, who take pride in wisdom, the Greeks, and who take pride in strength, the Romans, both of whom take pride in nobility, status, honor. Paul is dealing with a people who lean naturally upon these things, right? They're men of their age, women of their age. We've already talked about how Corinth is a, is a cultural epicenter. Things are coming in and through Corinth, both ways, traveling east and west, north and south, all kinds of things. It's a melting pot, if you will, uh, uh, of all kinds of cultural diffusion. It's, it's a hip place. It's a happening place. It's a bustling place. One that I think in many ways, as we've said, we can relate to. And the church there runs the, runs the, the uh, risk of also being men and women of their age. They run the risk of doing what Paul, as we said last week, begs them not to do in Romans 12. I beg you, brothers, by the mercies of God, count your bodies as living sacrifices and do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. Notice for Paul, the conformity and transformation is something that we need to have happen within our minds. And what he means by that is the way of thinking. We, we, we tend, we are creatures of habit. We are people who tend to slide into the ruts of the ways we've always done it. Lines of thinking that we've always thought. That, that's what comes naturally to us. I don't know, have you ever tried to change a behavior? Now, you, you change a behavior, it is so brutally difficult. You can't just think about it and do it. That's just not the way it works. It really requires training. It requires work. It requires habit formation. And Paul is challenging the Romans and the Romans here living in Corinth and the Corinthians to be on guard. Not to trust the wisdom of men which you have always trusted, which comes very naturally to you. To look for answers, we look to one another. How are others doing it who have gone before me? And, and, and again, that's very natural in many ways. But Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 is just upsetting everything. He's giving you a radically different way to think because he says, 
the wisdom of men has been shown for what it is, insufficient. By the wisdom of God, the wisdom of men has been insufficient to find him and to know him. So be careful, Corinthians, how much you lean upon, how much you trust in, how much you take pride in having the wisdom of men. Instead, Paul challenges the Corinthians and he challenges us here to what he describes as the foolishness of God. And of course we know, you don't even need me to tell you this. This is not because Paul thinks the ways of God are literally foolish and stupid. But he's saying by the position of the wisdom of men, it looks foolish to us. By the, by the pride and the nobility of man, God's way looks base. It looks undignified. By the strength that we seek, God's way looks really pathetic and weak. Now, do you have eyes to see or don't you? Again, it's like one of those things, you know, the, you know those, um, you know those little drawings that you look one way, you know, they're black and white. It's like a shadow and it can look like a goblet. You know, you look at it and it looks like a goblet. And they say, what do you see when you look at this picture? It's the shape of a goblet. And, and you know, and you say, oh, it's a goblet. And somebody says, yeah, but do you see a, two people's faces there? And you look at it again, you're like, hey, yeah, I can see. <laughs> Wait, is that a goblet or is it a person's face? You know the kind of pictures I'm talking about. Well, I think what Paul is saying is we all tend to look and all we can see are goblets. You know, all we can see is we see things one way. And Paul is challenging us in here and saying, do you have eyes to see in the purposes of God, the wisdom of God? Because by the wisdom of the world, you will only ever see foolishness. It will seem silly or even offensive to you. But Paul is challenging us here. Well, he challenges, he gives us three pictures of foolishness. One is the, the means by which the message comes. The second is the message itself. And the third is the men who participate, the men and women, right? The human beings. So first, the foolishness of the means, the means by which the Corinthians became what they are and the means by which God is doing his work in the world. And he tells us in verse 21, for since the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who would believe. I mean, think about Paul. Paul comes around. He, he tells us later in 1 and 2 Corinthians, he's not a man of any great stature. He's actually not an excellent speaker and what, and what God has called him to do, the way that God is going to overcome the Roman culture, the way that God is going to transform the world, the way that God is going to transform lives is not in demonstrations of great power. You even hear it in Gideon, you know, back there, when, when the angel of the Lord... Now think about this. The angel of the Lord shows up in your tent and Gideon's first words to him is, what the heck? You're not with us. You've forsaken us. Where are the miracles that we heard of? We got to hear all these. This is, this is, 
I don't encourage you to lead with this when the angel of the Lord shows up in your tent, but, but this is exactly what Gideon does. You know, he, he says, he says, I got to hear all these stories about amazing works and wonders and miracles that you did for our fathers, bringing them out of Egypt, but now we're in trouble and nothing. Right? Jews demand a sign, Paul says. Where's the might? Where's the power? Where's the miracles? You're just going to come in and just, you know, God, you ever heard people say this? Why doesn't he just, if God's real, why doesn't he just rip the heavens open and make some dramatic display? See, that makes sense to us. Because if I had the power to do it, I just blazing fire and convince everybody that I'm real, convince everybody that I'm true. And what does God do? He sends a guy who can't speak very well, who's battered and bruised and beaten and not very impressive, who continually gets arrested and chased out of cities, to stumble into their city and to talk, to preach. This is the foolish way that God has chosen to do it. God became flesh. And to be sure, Jesus did miracles. But you'll remember, even when he does the miracles, at many points he's like, I'm done. Yeah, but they, there's more people who want to be healed. I did not come for this. I came to preach, Jesus said, the kingdom of God. And he leaves and he moves on. It was not about the miracles. It's not about displays of power. It's not about impressive signs. It's not about wowing people with our nobility. It's about the foolish act of what I'm doing for you right now. This is how we're going to change the world? <laughs> this is how we're going to do it? Yes. The foolish means by which God is going to bring his kingdom is the foolishness of preaching. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing? By the word of God. So the job of the church is to go tell. Go, Jesus said, and be my witnesses. You go and tell. You go and love on people, and in your telling and in your showing by acts of humility and loving, you will declare to the world the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by that, by that message preached, the world will be saved. Seems foolish. It's not the way we would do it. It's just, but Paul talks about it, by the foolishness of what is preached. So first we have a foolish means. But then, what do we preach? And this is more the heart of what he's getting at, the foolishness of the message itself. And you can feel it. You can feel how so many churches want, they, they feel uncomfortable with the foolishness of the message preached. It can't be that simple. It can't just be Jesus Christ crucified. But Paul says, that's what we preach. For the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The Jews want a sign. The Greeks want wisdom. Don't we want that preachers who can give us all kinds of life application? And again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with life application. But I know, I hear so many times, the criticism of preaching or the desire, what people are looking for in a church. It just wasn't practical. I just, it just wasn't touching my life. It wasn't speaking to me. It's like, 
that, again, you are, not that there's wisdom in the Bible for how we live our lives, and we need that, and we need the Word of God to come down and touch our lives where we are. True. But notice what Paul says. The Jews request a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews' a stumbling block, to the Greeks' foolishness. And though it's next week's text, if you just look over, because we'll, we're going to drill down on this next week, but over there in chapter 2, verse 2, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Get that. Focus on that. Soak in that. The application will work itself out. But what you need to see, what you need to meditate on, what you need to eat spiritually and intellectually is Christ crucified. The gospel. And this message is foolishness. It's by the foolishness of what is preached. Back up to verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Again, I am so in awe of Paul. Now, of course, he was commissioned by the Lord and he worked in the power of the Holy Spirit. But just think, I'm a person who, I, I, and it's a sin. It's, this, is not a, this is not a pride thing. It's a, it, this is a sin. I, I struggle with awkwardness avoidance, okay? I have a very high sensitivity. My, my, my dial is turned way up in terms of sensitivity for awkwardness. Very, I avoid awkwardness like it's the plague, okay? I just hate it. That's a tough thing. It's a tough thing that you're always avoiding awkwardness. I look at people who are not self-conscious and they don't care about it. I think, ah, it's so liberating. I'm always avoiding awkwardness, trying to interfere with awkward, get, get away from awkward situations and awkward messages, and that makes even proclaiming the gospel difficult. That's why I've never been great at evangelism. I confess this to you. I'm not, it's, it's like I remember as a kid really struggling with evangelism because I hate awkward conversations. And evangelism is awkward because it's, it's, it's confrontational of sorts. Think about Paul, who has to come into a world that's so proud of its wisdom and its nobility and its strength and the message that you are proclaiming, and just assuming anybody would believe this, that your Messiah, your king, the king who is king over Caesar, is some guy, a Jewish rabbi, who was crucified by the Romans in this little outpost town of Jerusalem for the Romans. I mean, what's Jerusalem? Oh, and he is raised from the dead, and he's king of kings and lord of lords, and even Caesar must bow before him. And you're going to these Greek towns out on the street. Nobody's heard of this. Nobody believes this. And you're telling people this. And lo and behold, as he does it, speaking a message of utter foolishness from any Greco-Roman mind, that the Lord would use that message, that truth, to break the hearts of people and bring them unto salvation is unbelievable. And it undoes the wisdom of the world and the might of the world. He literally destroys it. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The pride and strength of man that you see like in the Tower of Babel. 
Let us for ourselves. That's what man's wisdom does. It gathers, it builds strength, and the Lord comes and destroys it. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. When you listen to men and women wax eloquent in their pompous pride with all their solutions for the problems of the world, don't, don't be frustrated by it. Pray for them. Because the Lord has said, I will bring it to nothing. I will show the utter vacuousness, emptiness of the wisdom of the world. They think they can solve all their problems. I will bring it to nothing. And he taunts them. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Show me the intellectual that wants to stand up here and speak. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world. Paul's just playing here with the language. The foolishness of God has exposed the foolishness of man. It has brought it to nothing. The only act of wisdom is the cross. Apart from that, we are, you think about the mindset of a non-believer. Caring about all these things that are swirling around us, all these problems of the world, when we are all in a bus that is heading for a cliff. We're all on a bus that is heading for a cliff and we're going to drive straight off this cliff into oblivion. And we look like complete morons because we're inside this bus bickering over how to get the radio to work. And why we can't? There's so much static in this. Not we can't figure out how do we get? No, this is the way you do it. No, that's the way you do it. Hey, you're, you're too close to me. And you're bickering about these things when the, the, the bus is headed full speed toward a cliff. It's going to ride off into oblivion. Like it makes the things you care about as big as COVID is, as big as racial reconciliation is, as big as all these things are. They're so important. If their story is right and you're driving in a bus that's about to go off a cliff into oblivion, they don't matter two bits. All their wisdom is exposed as utter foolishness. It is only if the teaching of Christianity is true that any of these things matter. It's only because Christ was crucified that we should care about racial reconciliation. That we should care about how to deal with COVID. That we should deal with any of these things. That we should care about the economy and we should care about how to help third world countries. And the fact, I mean, all this matters because the triune God exists and because he sent his son to redeem the world. If that is not true, then everything is utter chaos and the wisdom of the world looks silly. It looks like people on a bus bickering over the radio station when we're heading off a cliff. That's how stupid it looks. And God has revealed it. And he has exposed it. But brothers and sisters, you and I, by the grace of God, have the one message of wisdom that can speak to the foolishness of our age. To the world, it will look foolish. But that's its power. Speak it. Don't feel uncomfortable or awkward about that. It is by the foolishness of what is preached that God is undoing the wisdom of this age. As he says in verse 25, because the foolishness of God, and Paul, of course, is speaking here with unbelievable tongue-in-cheek, 
because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. So our God, our quote-unquote foolish God, is a God who is overcoming the wisdom of our age. And therefore, again, for us, the challenge is, whose voice are you listening to? Again, within, within this ridiculous bus that we're on, we're on th- there is some wisdom. I mean, doctors have wisdom about how to care for your bodies. They've studied the body really hard. There, there's, there's wisdom there. There, there. There's financial wisdom from secular atheistic financial gurus who can tell you how to invest your, your money in stocks and have good money for retirement. I'm not saying there's no wisdom there. We don't listen to these people. Right? There's, there's plenty of secular wisdom. But you've got to know to what extent it goes. You have to be careful what levels you prioritize that information. Because here's what your secular, atheistic, financial guru who can tell you what stocks to put your money in and you should listen to for putting stocks. He cannot tell you where to place your treasure. He can tell you where to place your your money for good stock. But he can't tell you where to place your treasure. The Bible will tell you that. Yes, invest because it's a gift from God and you should be a good steward. And if this guy has wisdom on that, I want to listen to him. My body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. If this atheistic uh, nutritionist can tell me how best to help my body, yeah, I want to listen. But what that, what that person can't do is tell me why. That person can't tell me, is never going to tell me, that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, take good care of it so that we can use it for the glory of God. Never going to get that. Never going to get that. So while I, because I, I'm saying this because I don't want to say, I'm, I, I don't want to say, oh, Christians, we have to cloister together. We can never listen to, the world has no wisdom. It has small W wisdom, and it's very valuable for many things. But it has no capital W wisdom. For that, you must look to the foolishness of God. Because the world, don't forget, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, professing to be wise, they became fools. Not worshiping the, cre- the creator, but worshiping the creature and four-footed animals, okay? This is what we do. We live in a culture that can't define simple things anymore. And yet, and yet, we proclaim to be wise. Proclaiming, professing to be wise, they became fools stumbling around in the dark. So as much as I want to listen to them for this small W thing and that small W thing, I cannot look to them for capital W wisdom. They have none. None. For that, I must look to the wisdom of God. And then finally, and we can be chastened by this, but more than anything, I think encouraged by this, We have foolish message and foolish means. I'm sticking with my alliterations, really sticking here. But then also foolish men and women. Foolish people. Again, God chose Paul to do this. Now, Paul was very credentialed within the Jewish community, but he forsook all that. He had to forsake it all. And he was a guy who wasn't particularly great at speaking. Moses, he tells Moses, hey, Moses, go go to, to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Moses, but I can't speak. I stutter. No, you're my guy. He gets, he gets Gideon, and he says, Gideon, let's go. 
But here's the problem. You have too many men. Too many men. Yeah, it's too many. I can't do it this way. <laughs> Imagine the Lord saying that. Knocks it down, of course. You know. The Lord intentionally chooses. He tells, he tells Israel in Deuteronomy 6, I did not set my love upon you because you were more than the other nations, but I set my love upon you because you were the least of all the nations. Gideon confesses this. He goes, how am I going to lead this army? I'm from the least of the tribes, and of those tribes, I am the least. David's called to be king. And when, and when Samuel shows up to anoint the king, he says, Jesse, bring me your sons. Jesse brings all his sons out. Thinks the first son, Eliab, is going to be the king. Of course, he's the greatest of all my sons. Nope, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him. Goes through six sons. Do you have any others? Jesse says this, yes, I have one more, but he's out with the sheep. It's my son, David, but he is the least of all my sons. Okay, he means the youngest. It's not really a very nice way to say it. He is the least of my sons. But the language is there because this is how God works. Yes, oh, he's the least of your sons? Sounds like God's man. God uses the least, and Paul tells him this. Look around at yourselves, but if you want evidence of the foolish way in which God works, look at yourselves. Look at your calling, brethren, he says in verse 26. Not many wise according to the flesh. Now, where are the credentialed people here? Not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God is intent on overturning the apple cart. The arrogance of man, right from the beginning in the Garden of Eden, of Adam saying, I am wiser than God. I will listen to the voice of the serpent, and I can see the wise thing to do here. Snatch the fruit and eat it, and I will have. I'll be wise. Our nature is not to trust the foolishness of God. And God is intent to overturn it. And even in those he chooses... There are not many wise, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And he has chosen uh, uh, the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no flesh should glory in his presence. This is the same thing he said to Gideon. You know why I'm knocking your army down from 30,000, down to 10,000, down to 300? Because if I don't do this, you will take glory. You will say, we've done this, but I'm going to put you to a spot where it will be very obvious and clear. The battle was not won by you. When you come into Jericho and you march around the city seven days in a row and then blow your trumpets and the walls come crumbling down, you're not going to say, well, this is because Joshua's mighty strategy. You won't say that. Moses, if I send you to Pharaoh, the stutterer, and Pharaoh finally breaks and lets it go, and we crush everybody in the Red Sea, you'll know that God alone is God. Paul, when you come, the broken Paul, and you come and preach this, it will be obvious the power is not of man, but of God. And this is something we all have to come to grips with. And, and again, we need to be chastened by it because we tend to think we are greater than we are. We tend to think we are more used to God than we are. We tend to think we are something when Paul says, no, 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 look at yourself. God has chosen you because you are the least, okay? 
So on the one hand, we need to be chastened by that, but that's not the major thing I want to say. I actually want to encourage you by this. One, because God has chosen you. I mean, that's, that's language we don't have time to get into here that can slip under this text. But again, notice God intentionally chose you. God wants you on his team. God loves you, not for what you can offer to him. It's not transactional that way, but God loves you. You know why you are here? Because God wants you here. Do you know why you're a Christian? Because God loves you and he chose you. This is, not, this is not discouraging. This is encouraging. He loves you, and he gives you value. He makes you something. Gideon got to lead the army and win the battle. Moses got to be the man that led Israel out of Egypt. Paul got to be the guy that planted churches. The fact that we are the least doesn't mean we don't receive glory. God gives great glory. God lets us share and participate in it. This is the privilege he gives to us because we are his people. Don't be discouraged. Realize God loves you. He has chosen you. And he has given you everything you need. It is because of him, verse 30, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom and righteousness and holiness and what else is it? Reconciliation. Redemption. Therefore, let all who boast. Well, go ahead and boast. Paul said, no problem with boasting. Just boast in the right things. Boast in the wisdom of God. Boast in the power of God. Boast in the nobility of God. Boast in the somethingness of God. Do not boast in your being. Do not boast in your wisdom. Do not boast in your nobility. Are you okay with being called something that is not. I've preached on this text before. I said the gospel is for losers. Like, are you okay being called a loser? If, that, if you bristle at that, if you are not okay with being called something that is not, because that is what Paul says, he's chosen the base things of the world, the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. If you hear, ooh, I don't like being called a thing that is not, that should trouble us. Because we want to be something in and of ourselves. But God has chosen the things that are not so that they might share with him in his glory. But these are what God has intentionally chosen to put to shame all those who think they are something. So the Corinthians needed to hear this, but you know what? Americans need to hear this. Americans need to hear this. We are independent, pull yourself up by your bootstrap kind of people. That's in our nature. We don't like talk of foolishness. We don't like talk of weakness. We don't like talk of humility. We certainly don't want to be called something that's not. But this is what Paul breaks us down to so that in that place of emptiness, we might find that we have everything, even glory. Let him who glories glory in the Lord. You share in his glory. So 
This is a challenge for us in terms of where we lean and what we hope in. It's a challenge in our strategies, how we go forth and work in the world. And it's a challenge to us in our self-identity. All of these things we need to think about now in light of the quote-unquote foolishness of God. Where will I look for my identity? Here in the scriptures. Where will I look for my strategy as how to take down the Midianites and how to confront a world that's gone wrong? The scriptures. Where will I look for the message and the weapons I will use? As as Mark read for us from 2 Corinthians 10, I will not use the weapons of the world. Not just the physical weapons. I will not use the rhetorical weapons of the world. I don't need to. I have this. I have the sword of the Spirit, the power of God. This is our hope. It's our identity. It's our message. it's It's our strategy, and it's our victory. So let us not lean upon the wisdom of the world, but upon the quote, unquote, foolishness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess our nature to fall into ruts. Our nature is to listen to men and women, the wise men, the disputers of our age, the intellectuals, the experts. But Father, you have given us the Holy Spirit, our counselor, our friend, our teacher. You've given us the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Guard us, we pray from minimizing the true capital W wisdom of God for the lesser wisdom of men. And Father, help us to see our identity in Christ and in Him alone. And make us powerful by Your Spirit, that through the weakness of our preaching, through the weakness of our witness, You might be glorified, You might bring Your enemies down, and that You might spread Your kingdom through all the world. We pray this in Christ's name and for His glory. Amen.